All right, welcome to another episode of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences CSI March Madness version here with our very special guest, Nick Roush. Nick, how are you doing up there in uh, uh, Minnesota? We're doing well up here. Uh, you know, it's uh, we've reached now the end of March, which usually means that the snow is away by now, but we're accustomed to having snowfall in April, which I'm sure is not to Mr. Orlando down there, so. Uh, Dr. Orlando. Um, yeah, listen, Orlando. <laughs> listen, uh, when, when the snow melts in June, uh, we'll have that discussion, okay? There you go. Um, um, Quick question. Um, we all know what's going on uh, in your town right now with uh, the big George Floyd trial. Sure. Um, it's got to be distracting as a professional to to work in that environment when your hometown is like that. Um, have you, do you, you and your colleagues talk about that and kind of how to keep focus? Because it has to be very, well, just distracting overall from the social issues, but then just, I think, I would think emotionally it's distracting too, right? Well, you know, I, to, to both points, you know, it is. Um, and, and here's what I'll say is, you know, whether you worked in a small business, whether you worked in a big business, whether you were legal, non-legal, it really doesn't matter. The, the impact of the George Floyd issue has uh, widespreading, you know, uh, touches across all businesses yeah. in the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota, I'd say. Um, and so, you know, right now they're in the middle of jury selection. They anticipate that's going to go for maybe even another couple of weeks. Wow. And the big issue I think has been interesting has been the impact of the civil settlement that just came out on how they're picking a jury on the criminal side. And so yeah. if you follow the news, the last couple of days, they've actually brought back in jurors to say, you know, with the $27 million settlement that just came out, are you still able to be fair and impartial? And I think that's a, that's, that's a valid question, right? To, uh, to yeah. And, yeah. And not only... <laughs> you know, does that have complications, I think, with the criminal trial? I think it has complications otherwise with other trials that are going on or about to go on in the state of Minnesota and jurors' expectations yeah. of number, settlement value. I mean, it's it's wide reaching in a lot of respects. Wow. Wow. It's a wow. That's a that's a tough situation to be in. I mean, well, well, Monitor, you just stay safe up there. OK, Um so I listen. I looked at your background. Um, your CV is quite ridiculous. I got to say, I was even maybe a little bit jealous. My mom will be very proud that you said that. Thank you so oh, much. Yeah. <laughs> Have your mom watch the podcast, please. We need all the subscribers we can get. Can you tell me? Because uh, everybody gets into law a different way. What What was it about you? And do me a favor. Do not do what the last fourteen people have done on the show, saying I was in the fifth grade and I I knew I was going to be a. No, you didn't. You were going to be something else, and it, it finally settled on law. How did that process go? Okay, well, um, so I'll, I will start off not like anybody I've ever had. So I had no expectations to be an attorney. Uh, I, I have no, in my family, I have no judges. I have no attorneys. I, I have no legal background whatsoever coming into law school. Oh. Um, so what happened was I actually, my junior year in undergrad, I uh, did an internship at the Iowa Cubs, which is the AAA team for the Chicago Cubs baseball team. Cubs. And um, it was a great, it was a great summer, um, had a great time. And I was a marketing intern that basically would go through the marketing contracts and proposals and just make sure they happen during the season. Right. It, it was, it's a, it's a 20 something year old's dream internship. I mean, dream job. 
in the summer, especially for a baseball guy like me. It was, it was huge. And so we get to the end of the summer and the GM I was working for said, hey, Nick, we, we loved having you. If you like doing this type of stuff, you should think about going to law school because actually some of the bigger name teams are hiring people if they have JD because they need to know how contracts work. Um, my initial reaction to that conversation, I remember was, I'm not smart enough, nor am I qualified enough to go to law school. I have no background. It's not me. I'm not doing it. And uh, I had, a, luckily, a, a, a girlfriend at the time, now was my wife and, and a family at the time who uh, said, you should do this. Why not? Take the LSAT, just see what happens. So took the LSAT, um, went decent enough that I could get into Drake Law School in Des Moines. And I'm, I'm a Des Moines guy. That's where I grew up. Um, so I went to, the, to Drake just because I, I could live with, in my mom's basement and have cooking and laundry and everything. And it just worked out. Um, and then I, I, once I started getting into it, you know, I, I originally thought I was just going to go to law school to do sports law. And I just ended up loving the litigation wow. aspects. Of it. And I did a lot of uh, mock trial, moot court. Uh, and then towards the 2L and 3L year of my time in, at Drake Law, I applied to do uh, our student license internships, which at that point in time were with the Dallas County Attorney's Office and the Polk County Attorney's Office. And I liked this litigation stuff so much that the prospect of those internships was intriguing to me because they said, as a law student, you'll be able to get in the courtroom and try cases if you want to. Um, I took that to the fullest extent, and by the time I had graduated from Drake, my 3L year, I had tried either first or second chair, tried seven jury trials front to back, um, which was awesome. And I'm extremely grateful for the mentors and the opportunities that I had to get that done because it really did set me up to, to go and do litigation and trial work. And so um, after doing the criminal stuff for a little bit, um, I, I loved it, but I knew I wanted to do more of the civil type um, stuff yeah. to get more personal injury, wrongful death type uh, disputes. And uh, my wife ended up getting into grad school up here in the Twin Cities at St. Kate's. So we moved up here about three years ago. And since then I've been uh, at, I was at a smaller firm in Minneapolis and now I'm here at Larson King in St. Paul. So it's just funny how the world revolves. And, and that's a thank great you. story. Um, uh, and you probably avoiding sports law was probably a good thing. My cousin actually does that and says it's the biggest pain in the ass. Uh, it's nothing but babysitting. It's like babysitting children all day. He can't sure. stand it. So, yeah. uh, and by the way, I took the LSAT as well, which is why I am a clinical psychologist and not an attorney. <laughs> that solved that problem really, really quickly. Listen, sure. man, you came out with this paper. This paper. Um, I, I found it to be very intriguing and uh, I don't have the title right in front of me, which means I'm a really terrible uh, host, but it really focused a lot on um, um, reverse reptile and, and anchoring of damages, uh, which those two things go hand in hand. And um, I've done a lot of public speaking on this, sh this issue, as have you. And then somebody from California sends me this paper. And typically here's how this goes. I get the email and the email usually says, don't be mad, right? Or you're going to be really, really mad. And I'm like, I open it up and then it's some paper and it's typically some author that's plagiarized me 19 times, uh, copying my reptile stuff sure. and I'm not getting credit. And then I read it and my head starts to explode. Uh, this was the opposite. <laughs> this guy I get, so I get the, uh, I get the paper um through this email 
and the email says, Bill, like something like, I think this guy has a man crush on you. This guy cited you. I, I lost track how many times he cited you. You need, to, you need to send this paper around, Bill. He actually cited you so many times. So number one, thank you, Nick, for I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the citations. But number two, tell me what, what, what gave you the ideas to write that paper because i gotta tell you it was one of the most well-written papers i have seen because and, and again i have no problem telling the truth however this is what gets me in the most trouble most of the reptile papers out there that have been written by attorneys quite frankly they just it's a lot of regurgitation of stuff that we already know yours yours was not can you tell me what sparked that i did to write this paper yeah. So first of all, um, I, I should be the one thanking you. So, I mean, uh, in doing the research for this paper, you know, we, we wanted to pull from all the sources we could and your name bill came up across the board. So I, I mean, really, I should be the one thanking you for having the groundwork to even write this paper. Uh, and even just to be here on this podcast, I, and Bill did not tell me to say this. I, listen to this podcast all the time. Um, I, I travel a lot for work and doing trucking inspections and all kinds of stuff. And this is one of the ones that it's, it's you know, it's short enough in 20 or so minutes that I'm able to, to put it on. So uh, I just, I appreciate it. I, I'm a big fan boy. So I'm happy to be here. And Bill did not pay me to say that. For those the listening. advertising <laughs> check is in the mail. In the, I'm going to FedEx, I'm going to FedEx that check is what I'm going to do. Thank you. No, but you know where I came from and, um, my, my partner and I and colleague, Mark Solheim, we were sitting down and we're prepping for um, a week long uh, trip up to Northern Minnesota for depositions. And we had just been through a mediation with a plaintiff's attorney who was anchoring us the entire day. It was just really painful. And then we had sat through another week about three months prior with reptile questions across the board. And so I remember distinctly, you know, we're sitting in this conference room prepping for these <laughs> positions. And we finally just said, you know, it's, it's five o'clock, the light, the sun's starting to go down. It was wintertime. And we said, you know, what, why aren't we doing this? You know, what, why, why aren't we taking the techniques that are being used against us for yeah. it's <laughs> and why aren't we going the offensive? You know, we bring in our corporate reps, we do a prep for eight hours. We're prepping them. We're on the defensive. Why don't we go on the offensive? Why are we so stuck Ooh, in this mindset of, of, we have to sit back and defend and block and do all this when we could go on the offensive. And so what it was, was let's go out there. Let's find the information, the science we need to, to tell other defense practitioners, Hey, you know, you, that five hours you spend sitting there thinking about how to defend your depot, maybe spend an hour of that thinking about when you depose their next rep yeah. or you depose the plaintiff again, how are you going to circle back and use the same topics on them? You know, these topics were, were created were drafted, were cited, were studied because they're based in psychology, right? Yeah. Psychology isn't just for the plaintiff's bar to use, right? Thank it's you. for everyone to use. And so that's what prompted the paper. Out, outstanding. Well, um, again, I, I love the paper. It's funny, it, the defense bar, it's like they go on defense first, right? They defer the kickoff or something. And they go to the prevent. The, and you know what they say about the prevent defense in football, right? It prevents right. you from winning. <laughs> right. If you're on defense, you can blitz. Right. Um, define. Now, I'm going to ask you something very basic. Yeah, because I want you to show off a little bit. But I'm asking you this question because you'd be shocked how many attorneys and I'm not going to name names. You'd be shocked how many insurance claims people don't know what anchoring and counter anchoring actually mean. 
So can you please just give some basic definitions of these concepts? Because this is, I think this is the, one of the hottest topics going on right now because it's happening well, in every trial. Here's how I explain this. And, and, and Mark and I have presented on this topic to a lot of defense organizations. And here's the best way I can explain it. And anchoring in my mind when I think about it is the concept of reference points. Okay, yep. so we all have reference points in our head for what something is worth. I can say, Bill, give me the cost of a 12 pack of Diet Coke. And you'd say, oh, it's probably five or $6, whatever it is. And I'd say, okay, now Bill, give me the cost of a, you know, a ticket to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. Okay, well, it's probably 200, 300 bucks, depending on where you're sitting. And that's just based upon your experience as a consumer, your experience just as Bill, as someone who's done those things repetitively over time. But then if I said, Bill, give me the cost of a brand new Lamborghini. You'd say, well, I don't have a Lamborghini. I don't know yeah. what it is. I, I, I've never had one before. And I said, okay, Bill, well, let's say I sit down with you and I say, Bill, a cost of a brand new Lamborghini is a hundred thousand dollars. And you'd say, well, I, I don't know how much it's worth. How am I supposed to know if it's one way or the other? Exactly. And then I bring in, I bring in an expert and the expert says, yeah, Bill, it's a hundred thousand dollars. And then I show you the manual. Manual says it's a hundred thousand dollars car value. And then I bring in other people who have brought Lamborghinis and they say, yeah, it's actually a hundred thousand dollars. At that point in time, Bill sitting there would say, okay, well, it's probably $100,000. Yep. Now, if we take a pause, just right there for a second, it's exactly what plaintiff's counsel, plaintiff's attorneys are doing to juries Every case. all across the United States. Every case. And what they're doing, it, it, what, if, if anybody listening is caught on, they know that the jury that you're in front of usually doesn't have any experience valuing an injury, valuing a death, valuing a whatever it is. Nope. And so the, the concept of reference points is if you don't have a reference point for a per certain position or a per certain value, the human mind will latch on to the first piece of information it hears and takes that as value, right? So in a jury trial, you have a plaintiff's attorney who gets up there in closing and says, the cost of medical expenses, life care planning, whatever, is $50 million. As a juror, as someone no who idea. has no experience, you say, yeah, you know what? It probably could be $50 million. That reference point right immediately serves as the anchor yep. it immediately serves as the starting point for where that juror is thinking for the remainder of those closing arguments and going into it that's what i think is so fascinating about anchoring is uh, it it's dangerous. a psychological concept that if you don't have a reference point you're just going to latch onto that number and then it does anchor you for the rest of the time and so in my terms that's kind of a long definition of it but yeah. it's it's anchoring to anchor that juror or anchor that person of a mm -hmm. reference point so that they add value to that and they see that as truth going into deliberations. Yeah. And then you also have the timing of the anchor, which is right. just as important. And so what you've seen the players bar moving is to um, anchoring in the first two or three sentences of their opening statement to get that number out there and keep repeating that number. And then they've heard that number the whole trial. And, and then let's talk, talk about the dangers. I mean, again, I know all this stuff. I, I like, I'd like to hear you explain it because then you can show off a little bit. But if you don't counter anchor, well, first of all, what's a counter anchor? And if you don't counter anchor, what's ultimately going to happen? Right. So, so the paper talks about uh, either the, it was either the Campbell or the Smith study. I can't remember which one it was. They talk about the four different ways to counter an anchor. And there is uh, to ignore, to identify, to counter anchor, or to counter and identify. Um, and all of them, if you just take the word by itself, you'll understand what it means. But to counter essentially is to give 
the jurors another reasonable number or a reasonable reference point to the number that was already presented by plaintiff's counsel. And so, you know, we, we get in this all the time. And actually, Mark and I got a question. We were presenting to a, a local bar organization for this. And we had a, a attorney ask, well, you know, I've been trying cases my entire life. And I never, I never bring up damages. I don't even talk about it. And, and we said, okay, you know, and honestly, we don't have all, we don't have the answers. Sure. And I'm not an expert. I don't intend to be, uh, but I just think that if you don't counter your, your gambling, that your liability argument is so good that it's yeah. going to take it away. But if it's not, just think about the position you're in. The only number that that jury has heard for the last 10 minutes to seven days has been that $50 million number. So how are they going to base it? How do they have another reference point? And so I, I think counter anchoring is something that can't be oversold, especially if it's a case where you think you have, you know, the chances for any type of excessive liability. I think yeah. it's something you have to think about and have to be intentional about when you're drafting your closing statement and, and when you're drafting any of your submissions. Before. Yeah. It's funny how you mentioned uh, how that discussion always starts. I've been trying cases for 30 years and right. then they start going on why they don't mention it's a different yeah. jury pool. And I, I quite frankly think anchoring works with Gen X, Gen Y a lot better than it does uh, with the, you know, with the boomers and the war generation. So it's a very powerful effect. They're using it early. I've advised all my clients. In fact, I'm in, uh, well, I can't tell you, which it, there's a trial going on right now in Iowa that I've been deeply involved with all week. Sure. So if you look it up, you're going to figure out which is one. And I told sure. this attorney, I go, if he anchors damages in this opening statement, it better be the first thing out of your mouth in your opening. You better do it. Cause if you don't, you're going to be in big trouble. Cause they just going to drop that number the whole trial. And then it's again, once they have that number. Wow. Uh, yeah. Cause the, the danger here, which is a grave danger. Remember the movie grave danger. Any, is there any other kind that right. was, uh, that was called a few good men, Jack Nicholson. Thank you very much. But it is a grave danger to just let that number go because yeah, if you lose, then the jury goes, well, what should we award? Well, we only heard one number, which is terrible. And then the other, the other thing that I see going on here is the, what I call double anchoring. I just invented that term, by the way, meaning it's like, you know, okay. So my sister called me. She's like, uh, well, I'm interviewing for this job. I go, well, how much? I don't know. She's like, I don't know how to interview very well or negotiate. I go, well, what do you want to make? She goes, well, I, I really want to make $100,000. I go, ask for 200. If they, if they cut it in half, they think they're sticking it to you and you get exactly what you want. So what the plans bar is doing, I just had a mock trial. We did this where the, the mock jury sits down. I kid you not. They sit down in deliberations and the four person goes, can you believe the gall and just greediness of that plaintiff attorney? This, this guy wants $150 million. We're only going to give him 75. We're going to show him. There's no way we're giving, we're going to really stick it to this guy while he's laughing to the bank. And I'm like, yeah. have you seen this? I, so I call it double anchoring, meaning not just anchor, anchor way above. So if it does get cut, you're right where you want to be anyway. That's something I'm seeing now. And it's also something I see the plaintiff's bar using in negotiations to threaten, to say, hey, listen, 
if you don't give me what I want right now before trial and this nuclear settlement, right? I'm going to ask for this to trial and you don't want me to do that. And it puts the defense in a very, uh, let's just say difficult position, correct? <laughs> well, it, it puts it in a difficult position. And, and I think the other side of this too is, is to your tail point, which is, you know, anchoring is it, it certainly is something to consider for jury trials, obviously. And it's something that we think about all the time when we're prepping for a trial, but it's also something that can't be overstated in just your day to day, right? From, from, from when the claim comes in from your adjuster to when you are first communicating with plaintiff's counsel to when you're exchanging communications to when you go to, to mediation, um, presenting counterpoints and reference points and making sure you're being intentional with counter anchoring, you can do that all the way through litigation. And it's just about being more intentional with it. And I think that's sometimes overlooked uh, with attorneys as we get into litigation. Absolutely. And by the way, I can prove this scientifically, but you know this as well. If you counter anchor, that does not mean you're admitting liability. It's just, you, no, have, it doesn't. To, you have to do it the right way. Right? right. And which is means, which I tell, I go do it in Vordere. If you may not be able to give the number in Vordere, but at least drop the hint of, Hey, I'm going to give you an alternative number because that's my job as an attorney. I don't even think right. you're going to get to anywhere near numbers, but if I do that, are you going to hold that against me? Because that's part of my job. And you tip them off that you're going to do it. And then you take that any, any type of liability stuff. I think if you save it till the end, when you, you look like you're defeated, well, yeah, it looks like you're admitting liability because you saved it to the end and it looks like you're toast, right? Right. I mean, and I think you have, to set, you have to set the hook early, right? And so yeah. I think that's your point is in opening statement and in jury selection, it has to be, a, again, an intentional point of your prep and an intentional point of the language that you're yeah. using with the jury. So I think it's important for um, defense attorneys to learn how to reptile people. I really think it's important. And quite frankly, they don't do it very well. And, and, and I, the reason why is they're not going to reptile training programs and tending, spending 10 grand a weekend to get this vigorous training. Now, I've written all these papers to teach them how to do it. You've just written a paper. You know, there's a lot of resources out there that are completely free. But I think with anything else in life, whether it be sports, whether it be litigation, I think if you're a defense attorney, you need to read all these articles and start to practice how to do this. You have to learn how to do this. And if you struggle, I get phone calls all the time. Can you teach me? Like very quiet, like, Shh, can you teach me how to reptile? I'm like, yes, of course, of course I can. What's your case? Right. I can, I'll reptile you. I'll reptile you right now. Just tell me what the case facts are. Right. Boom, 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 and I can do it. And they're like, how the hell did you do that? I go, well, that's the last 11 years of studying this stuff scientifically and practicing it with witnesses. What would you recommend, particularly young um, attorneys like you do to get up to speed because I, I think this resources are out there but if you don't get up to it's actually a very difficult skill to learn it's not something you're going to pick up on the fly no it's it's not and, and and it's also something that to your point it is a case-by-case -case basis I mean it's something that you have you know the reptile questions you're going to ask in a, a trucking case are going to be different than the ones you're going to ask of you know, if you have a products case or, or, or a workplace accident case that you might have. And so, you know, what I would say is number one, um, 
I, I learned how to do it just by defending depots, right? And so you, you learn from sitting there and unfortunately having some of your witnesses go through the ringer and, and saying, okay, here's what they're doing and learning how to object to it. But what it is, you know, at its very core is, and the, the plaintiff's bar has, has learned creative ways how to do this through the years, ever since the, the ball and Keenan, mm-hmm. you know, dropped. It, it's essentially find your, the nexus of, of the accident, right? And so whether it's driving conduct or if it's safety or if it's, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is within that set of facts that is going to be the core issue in the case. And it's a matter of breaking it down to a level of importance that we take just as members of the community and, and members as human yeah. beings. And that's a very hard skill to learn how to do. I didn't learn it immediately. I had to read transcripts and sit through depositions to learn how to do it now. And I'm still not a, a master at it myself. But once you do that, it's just a matter of breaking it down so that you can build up with that witness the yeah. importance of that factor to the community and be able then to come back and cross-reference that importance with what happened in the case. Um, it's a it's a nuanced skill that that you know I don't think enough defense practitioners put in their practice, and especially when they're prepping for party depositions or even you can use them on on yeah. fact witnesses or on other people as well. Yeah, I need when I did the reverse reptile seminar with attorney Paul Motes in Chicago, that was the most attended webinar they've ever had in DRI history. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do part two of that to really break this down so i'm going to share with everybody right now i wasn't planning on do this openly share this but you can start i reptile in the shower i reptile when i'm driving because all you have to it's a three-step process you ready you have to do it backwards right you start with the blame question yep okay you start with the blame question for now let's take a non-litigation thing right parenting right well bill you're a terrible parent that's the that's the que- if I say yes to that question, I've admitted guilt, right? That's mm-hmm. but that's the last qu- that can't be the first question. That's not the system in the reptile, right? Now let's work backwards, all right? So from the end zone, let's work backwards to where this ball get- has to get kicked off from. The questions preceding that are factual questions. Will you let your kids stay out too late? And you know, you know, you have bedtimes nine o'clock, and you let them stay up till ten, right? And then uh, first day of March Madness, you you let them skip school like your mother did, right? Those are the factual questions that precede the blame question, right? And those are facts. I have to agree with those. And then where the reptile sequence comes in is the questions before that, and that is all the parental rules I'm supposed to follow to be a good parent. Yep. So, and yep. it's it's safety rules and litigation, right? And employment litigation, it's rules like um, transparency, trust, loyalty, things like that. And it's like, well, Bill, to be a good parent, you got you to set boundaries, correct? All right. And if you don't set good boundaries as a parent, your kids can take advantage of you, right? You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. I can reptile anybody, anywhere, oh, yeah. and I absolutely love it. But that's the sequence. It starts general, goes to facts, gets to blame. But the way to architect it, you start backwards, you work with blame, you work backwards. So in any case, you can do that. And I think you need to start practicing. I think I need to redo this seminar. I think I need like an interactive seminar of, of some people yeah. to really uh, do this. Maybe we can do it for some of you, your folks at your, uh, at your law firm, but really, really fun stuff. And I'm looking forward uh, to working with you on it, uh, hopefully really soon. Let's wrap this up with a topic. Um, overall impressions 
of virtual depositions? Yay or nay? Uh, uh, Yay-ish, if that's an answer. You know, I, I think number one, it, it's okay in terms of if you've got witnesses that, that you just need to get information from, fact witnesses, I think that's fine. For a party, you know, depositions, sometimes it's good to be in the room to gauge how they make yeah. as a witness, how they interact with people, different nonverbal uh, tics that they may have. Um, but I think that the one struggle that we're still trying to get over with, you know, is dealing with exhibits, any times yeah. the technical issues, you know, so those, those things are always going to come up. I think, you know, I, I just this morning was sitting in on um, not depositions, but oral argument for, for the Court of Appeals um, that was done through Zoom. I mean, I think that the new norm, I think, for the foreseeable future is going to be Zoom for both depositions and for um, and for court hearings. And I think, you know, for for its purpose, I think it does exactly what we need to, which is allow us to communicate, allow us to ask questions and, and have a dialogue. Uh, but I think long term, I, I think we'll, we'll get back to some sense of normalcy uh, with being in person once we figure out the whole vaccination and, and our people yeah. rate no type deal. But um, I, I think at least in our firm, everybody has um, has made that transition really nicely. And, and we all have Zoom technology that we're able to use. And so for the time being, I think it's good. I think it'll wear out in, in about a, you know, maybe a year or so and we'll get back to normal, but I think it does what we need it to do. And, and, and you know, we've done multiple hundreds of Zoom depositions uh, since the pandemic started. It keeps me out of Minnesota in February, I'll tell you that. You're welcome to come <laughs> up. I don't know why, Bill, you're so hesitant to come up. I Ice like the fish. I like to fish up there, but I like to come yeah. up in August. Ice fishing, it's fantastic. It's I've been fun. ice fishing. I grew up in Pennsylvania. The, the problem, ice fishing leads to a different problem. <laughs> you know what I'm talking you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about. I, I have a I have a mentor who told me, you know, ice fishing is really not about the fishing. It's so. not about the fishing. We'll That's about that. The, it's we'll that leave it there. It's that leave cool, it's that cooler of you know what you're sitting on all day with your buddies. And before you know it, it's no there's no longer anything going on about fish. All right. Okay, so here we're gonna post this. The I believe, I'm pretty darn sure we're gonna post this podcast the week of the final four. So awesome. Okay, so now it starts tonight. Yeah, I need your your Cinderella, which means or I'm just telling hey, someone that's a seven seed or higher that's going to the final four. I have my pick right in front of me, but you're my guest. I'm gonna let you go first. Um Okay, so number one, I'm I Drake Bulldog Law School. Uh, Drake is playing tonight. It's the playing game. Um, I'm hoping they win. If they win, I think it'll be tough for them to come out of that bracket with Gonzaga. But it'd be great if they made it. Otherwise, the sleeper pick, the sleeper pick. I think I think LSU is a really tough team that they could go on a deep run. Um, there, there's a bunch of other teams that aren't high one or two seeds like Oklahoma State that, that could also make it too. But I'm just happy we have it, man. We got we got screwed last year. I look forward to March Madness every year with my family, and I'm just I'm missing it. So I'm just happy it's back. Those those damn refs. Okay, now I'm gonna pick my my Cinderella special right here, and it's right in front of me. No one's giving them any credit, and when I say this, people are gonna be like, "That's not a Cinderella. They're an 11 C play, Michigan State, baby." The Izzo. I'm taking the Izzo. No one's paying attention to them. They play tonight. I'm picking the Izzo to to just pull the shocker, right? And I'd be okay if my Tar Heels did the same thing, but I just The other team I heard, too, was Winthrop. Winthrop is like 25-1. and Very dangerous. And 
I think they're like an 11 seed too. I think they're like something like that. So, I mean, they could make a deep run as well, but on yeah. my, the other 90% of my family are Iowa state cyclones and the cyclones won a total of two basketball games this year. So we are not even close to being ready, but uh, it's just fun. Like I said, you just can't wait for it. And, uh, and I'm going to watch all games uh, tonight and tomorrow and it'll be a good time. It's, it's going to be fun. I'm, 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 I'm going to go to the Vegas odds to see how many teams are going to get booted because of COVID positive tests, which is actually going to be interesting. Nick Rouch, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Definitely going to do a seminar with you soon. Hopefully work on a case with you. Thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it to our audience. Thank you so much for participating again in the litigation psychology podcast brought to you by courtroom sciences. We'll see you next time.